This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Stephanie Gray. She's a fellow nurse practitioner, a functional medicine provider who helps men and women build sustainable and optimal health and longevity so they can focus on what matters most to them. She helps women in midlife who feel like their bodies have betrayed them step back into their bodies by restoring optimal hormone levels so they can regain their sleep, figure, mood, and feel amazing again. She is known for keeping hormone replacement therapy sexy, safe, and effective. Welcome, Stephanie. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me on. I have to tell you, I get dinked all the time because I don't have enough nurses on the podcast. And the biggest problem I find is nurses don't want to come on the podcast. I find what? even, yeah. yes, it, it is a challenge. And I think it's, maybe it's, it's our training. You know, we we're meant to kind of be sometimes a little bit in the background, not mm-hmm. up front and center. And so this will check at least one box for the year. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on, but I'd love for you to kind of touch on, you know, what brought you to being so hormone focused? I know based on previous conversations that you did some of your, you know, graduate education in this area in particular, but I know that listeners would love to kind of hear about your journey, obviously started off as a nurse and, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of progressed to being an NP, but what got you interested in hormonal therapies? So many things. Where do I start? Well, like you mentioned, (laughs) as nurses, thankfully, we're trained to appreciate the whole body, right? We're taught the bio, psychosocial, cultural, spiritual self is something that we need to treat in totality. And so as a nurse, I thought, okay, I want to be able to prescribe medications at some point and get patients off drugs. Mm-hmm. I actually thought of going to chiropractic college because I thought that may be a good fit. I think it would have made a good chiropractor, but I'll, I'll refer out for <laughs> those problems. So doing some of my graduate training in nursing homes, I saw a lot of incontinence and I realized the number one reason for admittance to long-term care facilities was urinary incontinence, right? Mm-hmm. And so I learned the art of, which we don't have to get into today, but pessary fitting. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> and I was trained to fit patients with pessaries you know, to help with prolapse and, and whatnot. But long story short, I found there were non-surgical, non-pharmacological options for urinary incontinence that helped patients regain some dignity and remain in their homes. And I thought there has to be the same approach to every mm-hmm. other condition. So how do I get that training, right? (laughs) So I did become a nurse practitioner and I sought out that training. So I did the advanced fellowship through American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And and long story short, I kind of started my own practice. And one way to get patients feeling better very quickly was optimizing their hormones. And so that's where I decided to, that's where I got the training to build my practice, which interestingly also implies to urinary incontinence, right? Because you don't want to have a lot of estrogen deficiency in that area or you can leak urine. So That amongst my own personal journey, I have a long history of infertility. Thankfully, I now have a a beautiful almost two-year-old, but which you know of. (laughs) But I I also have my own personal just health journey that led me along the route of learning functional medicine, which involved optimizing my hormones. And maybe we can go into more of that later, but it was my personal story. And then also just kind of figuring out, gosh, I need to help patients. So how can I better do that? Nursing is, was a plat, was a step in that direction for me, but I needed to get through graduate school and do a little additional training so that I had the rights that I needed to help patients the way I knew I needed to. Well, I'm so glad that you have that additional training because, you know, even though all of my background as an NP was cardiology and ER medicine, so I'm that adrenaline junkie. I liked the really sick on the brink patients. 
it wasn't until I left clinical medicine almost five years ago, it's hard to believe, and started my own practice that I started to have a healthy amount of respect for the endocrine system and for our brains and how, you know, there's this delicate orchestration between our brains and receptors and glands and hormones. And now I kind of bow at the temple of the hypothalamus pituitary axis, <laughs> which for anyone who's listening, this is contained in our brains, but it orchestrates all of this communication and, you know, traditional Western medicine. I want to be really clear. I'm allopathic trained as a Yeah, We both are, but there's a piece of the puzzle that's really missing, you know, root cause determination and management for chronic and preventative health can't be underestimated. And so we're both functionally trained. And you know, for me, I was so humbled when I started to realize I was like, oh my gosh, we were chasing like a symptom, but really we needed to look upstream and why weren't we thinking that way? And certainly for full disclosures, I've been very honest and open about my thyroid journey in the last five months. Back in September, Nature Thyroid, WP Thyroid were removed from the market because it was determined that there weren't the appropriate amount of dosage of medication and some of the prescriptive medications. And so for many people, they were kind of let, thrown to the wolves to deal with, okay, are we going to do compounded medications? Are we going to do armor? Are we going to do synthetic? NP thyroid. I put a lot of patients on NP when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so needless to say, you know, five months later, I finally, finally might've gotten the right piece of the puzzle put together. But the reason why I'm sharing this is that had I not known what I needed to document, my providers might not have really listened to what I was saying. And I think about so many lost opportunities, not just for women, but also men who are feeling off. Mm-hmm. And so what kinds of conversations are, would you encourage people to have, you know, what are some of the signs of hormonal imbalances in the body that may tip people off that it's not just in your head, you know, yeah. that weekend is not just because of COVID, you know, I think a lot of people just keep attributing it to that. And I said, it could be way more than that. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the symptoms? What are, when you're just scratching the surface, when someone comes to you as a new patient, what are some of the first things that you kind of nuance for them to help them understand what's going on with their bodies? Well, speaking to women in midlife, right, which is the majority of my patient population, although we see about everything, maybe we'll start with low thyroid symptoms. Mm -hmm. So patients will have that weight gain, especially weight gain that just shows up one day, even though they didn't change their lifestyle, their diet, (laughs) hair loss, dry skin. Mm -hmm. I tell patients everything slows down, Mm -hmm. right? The memory, the mood, the energy the hair growth, the nail growth, your bowels, (laughs) everything slows down. (laughs) So those are symptoms of low thyroid. And through our conventional training, right, we're taught to look at TSH and maybe T4, but we weren't taught to look at free T3, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, things that functionally trained providers look at. And so, you know, to their credit, conventional docs will, they'll run the basic tests and half the time they tell the patients you're normal, but many times patients don't feel normal. And so what I encourage the listeners to, if you're having those symptoms, which are really just a handful of the symptoms to dive deeper, find someone who will comprehensively assess your levels and interpret them appropriately. Also for women in midlife, even starting in the 20s and the 30s, I see a lot of low progesterone. I see patients with infertility, which is like I mentioned what I was struggling with, heavy bleeding, irregular cycles, anxiety, problems sleeping. A lot of patients just kind of wake up and they have either fast heart rate, they're waking up in the middle of the night, just feeling like something's off and they go to their doctor and they're put on anxiety medication or sleeping Mm -hmm. medication, which may very well help. 
but that's a band-aid approach, right? And that's not getting at the root cause of the problem. So many of those patients do need progesterone. That's usually the first hormone to go. And stress mm -hmm. will rob you of progesterone. So this last year, <laughs> everyone has been maybe more stressed than normal. A lot of my patients' levels are showing it, right? Their levels are lower than they've, than they've been. I say stress is the biggest hormone hijacker. It really is. So those are some low progesterone symptoms. Low estrogen can lead to, as I mentioned earlier, urinary incontinence, right? It helps tighten the skin. It helps minimize wrinkles, right? So <laughs> because it's of its benefit to collagen production. So low estrogen can lead to vaginal dryness, hot flashes, night sweats, memory fog, even bone density issues and depression. Estrogen is most like serotonin, that calming, you know, happy neurotransmitter. Progesterone is most like GABA. We need both. We need serotonin and, and GABA support. So a lot of women will start to have those, we call them vasomotor symptoms where they get, you know, flushing, whatnot. That can be due to low estrogen. And even testosterone is important in women. I've seen women as young as in their 20s with zero testosterone, which is a problem. But again, usually it's midlife that we're seeing those levels start to dip. So low testosterone can lead to poor mood, motivation, drive, libido, poor energy, poor muscle mass. So back to the weight gain thing, a lot of women are like, gosh, I'm going to CrossFit or you know, I'm working out aggressively, but I don't see the muscle gain that I used to have. And they just feel like something's off that they're, you know, they're just not right. They don't feel as well as they used to. Testosterone is most like dopamine, that other happy neurotransmitter. So you know, we need all of the above. <laughs> so if you're listening and you have any of those symptoms, <laughs> you could be experiencing some hormone decline. How do we know if you have that? We look at your labs and compare them to your symptoms and then decide what we're going to do to, to improve those levels, get you feeling better. I know one of the questions that I was asked, because I like to kind of pose on social media who I'm interviewing to kind of get a, to gauge a sense of where people's questions go. And so yeah. one of the questions that I got was I'm perimenopausal. So we know that's the five to seven years preceding menopause. Mm -hmm. And people were asking, is it appropriate for me to go on bioidenticals? I think they were speaking specifically to estradiol or progesterone or testosterone and not so much the thyroid. I think that was separate. Sure. Do you feel, well, obviously without looking at labs, but do you <laughs> have a kind of a governing philosophy? I would imagine it's, you're never too young for some hormonal support. That's probably what I'm leaning towards, yeah. but it sounds like their particular provider kind of said, oh, we're going to wait till you go through menopause before we do that. And I said, why would you do that? Why would you wait and suffer? You need them. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, where my answer is going, but I think that question may be posed simply based off her already talking to her doctor, right? Mm -hmm. So the misnomer is that you can only take hormones five to 10 years, right? A lot of patients are told, okay, I'll put you on this estrogen pill or, or whatever their doctor's giving them, but they're told, okay, you can take the short term and then I'm going to pull you off of it. And so I think some patients think, well, maybe I'll wait until my symptoms get really bad before I, <laughs> if I'm going to be limited with how long my doctor's going to treat me. Maybe I'll wait. So I have to differentiate it. I would agree with that statement that hormones should be short term if they're synthetic, from my perspective, never, right? Synthetic hormones should never be used or only used short term. That does not apply to this person's, you know, question being bioidentical hormones, right? Could they start taking bioidentical hormones? I've taken them. I'm in my thirties, right? <laughs> so you can take them and I've started patients on them as young as twenties. So yes, you can start taking them earlier in life mm -hmm. and you can continue them essentially forever, right? Hormones aren't dangerous, they don't cause cancer, right? Synthetic hormones are dangerous. <laughs> I don't recommend synthetic hormones, but we can't translate the risks from synthetic to natural. And that's what a lot of conventionally trained doctors do. Unintentionally, they're unaware. They're not trained the differences with synthetic and the natural. So to answer her question, why wait? Don't suffer. Yes, get on. If you need them based on your symptoms and your labs, get on them sooner rather than later. 
And a little segue into the menopausal females question. Her question was, do you like, and I can probably guess the answers to this, but I said, I will ask Stephanie regardless, <laughs> biased and triest. What are your feelings about those and pellets? Are you a fan yeah. or not? So yes, I'm a fan of pellets. And I think I'll answer that question. Then we'll go back to the biased triest. <laughs> so <laughs> pellets are subcutaneous hormone implants. They're about the size, I would say a little skinnier than a Tic Tac but they're kind of like a little grain of rice almost. They're not mm -hmm. as thick as a Tic Tac, but about that size that can be implanted into the fatty tissue on the lower lower back, upper bottom area. And listeners might be thinking, well, why would I put <laughs> hormones there? But believe it or not, this is what I truly believe is one of the safest ways to receive hormones. So as you go through menopause, what is happening is your ovaries are essentially shrivel shriveling up. You might not want to hear it, but they're shriveling up and throwing in the towel, right? There will be a day that is their last. <laughs> Pellets are kind of like having fake ovaries. They're like having a, a C team, right? Your adrenals, I say, are well, your ovaries are A team, adrenals are your B team. The pellets are almost like having a C team on board that your body can draw from when needed. They're released on cardiac output. So when you're working out, when you're stressed, your heart's going to beat harder, right? Faster. Blood's going to flow past these hormone implants, bring some of that testosterone or estrogen into the bloodstream at times you need them and then less times you don't need them. So they're very convenient because you're not swallowing a pill every day. They're just mm -hmm. there upon which your body can draw from. They're also, right, because they're in that tissue, they're cleared by the kidneys. They actually don't go through your gut or your liver at all. Okay. And that's where hormones get all the bad yes. hype, right? And when you're taking something by mouth, it's going to have to be metabolized. And um, we think the risk with cancer and the risk with clots and whatnot happens in the liver. And so if we can bypass that by putting the pellets in an area of the body that they're cleared through the kidneys, we thus are then bypassing those risks. So hormone pellets, yes, I'm for, because I think they can be administered very safely. They're very convenient. Even for men, men can get testosterone pellets, right? Instead of nasty, you know, unsafe injections, they can get pellets as well. So pellets are a great option for estrogen and testosterone. They're not an option for progesterone. So let's talk about the triest biased question. So triest, so trio, like three, right? TRI is standing for three estrogens, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. Estradiol is the hormone that's available in the pellet, but there are two other estrogens, estrone and estriol. What was used in the Women's Health Initiative study that scared doctors and patients away from estrogen was conjugated equine estrogen. Essentially, it was a mix of E1 and E2, well, given orally. It was literally horse urine. If that's the study that showed the risk of using oral, right, horse urine, well, I'm not going to use oral horse urine in my patients, and I'm not going to use E1. So triest, when I started my practice, I used not orally, but topically, compounding pharmacies could compound E1, E2, and E3, but I have since not been prescribing E1. So years back through my training, a lot of doctors were told, let's not give E1 anymore. If that was more of a dangerous estrogen, mm -hmm. why give it, right? And so to answer that individual's question, I don't give triest, I do give biased. Not in the pellet, because only estradiol is available in the pellet. Estriol, which is E3, right? We have E1, E2, E3. <laughs> so E3 is very safe estrogen. It's wonderful back to urinary incontinence again, <laughs> vaginal dryness. Many times it can be compounded to be used in a little a vaginal trochier, vaginal cream, or compounding pharmacies can combine them to be applied topically elsewhere in the body. So I don't have patients put topical hormones on the upper half of the body, period. Don't put hormones on your wrist or on your arm. 
that upper lymphatic chain could pull those hormones into the breast. We don't want more estrogen getting pulled into the breast, but below the belly button on the inner thighs during, you know, where there's fatty tissue there, you can apply a topical combination of estradiol and estriol, which is known as biased or biased can be made into an oral capsule, which again, I don't like oral estrogens or a sublingual lozenge or trochee, which you can put under your tongue. But you can see how complicated this can be. Mm -hmm. You really need to find a provider who for you, based on your levels, can assess if you need estriol, if you need estradiol, and then determine the appropriate way to, to optimize those hormones for your health and longevity. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra colostrum. And the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mycosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. 
product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. That's really interesting. Even as an NP, I did not know all of that about the pellets, but I never prescribed pellets. And it's right. really only been since I moved into this other space that I've gotten a little bit more acquainted with that. And I would imagine that there are, and I want to say this without judgment, I think that there are absolutely positively providers out there that know a little bit without knowing a lot. And right. so there are absolutely positively people that will reach out on social media. I'm sure you get it as well, who are just desperate because they know something's off. Right. Um, either they get put on oral bioidenticals and they gain a bunch of weight because it's going through the liver, you know, mm-hmm. first, second pass, or, you know, they're not on an optimized dose for them or their bodies. Mm-hmm. Cause there's no one size fits all philosophy for sure. So many of these patients get put on hormones without ever having levels tested too. And that's a pet peeve of mine. You know, when I started practice, I feel like, gosh, I'm just like picking up all the pieces. All these train wrecks come to me <laughs> because like you said, they may have been put on oral estrogen alone with no progesterone when they probably needed progesterone in the first place without having any levels tested to confirm they needed estrogen, right? right? Just because I said earlier, if you have hot flashes, you may need estrogen. Maybe you don't need estrogen, Mm -hmm. right? Don't just go on a hormone without confirming that need via labs or things can get a little messy. Well, and it's interesting to me because the hot flashes piece can be blood sugar. Totally. It can stress. Be, you know, your macros. Yeah. Exactly. I remember the first time I ever had a hot flash. I remember I was folding laundry and it was the middle of the summer. And I looked at my husband and I said, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> but for me at the point of life that I was, it was because I tend to be low carb, but I think I'd had, maybe I'd had some wine. Wine is a given. If I have wine, totally. I'm going to sweat. Yep. So let's unpack some of the reasons why people can actually have those hot flashes while we're kind of touching on this, because there's this misnomer that it's all related to estrogen loss, but it can be related to so many other pieces of the puzzle that I think are really critical. And nutrition is absolutely one stress management, sleep quality, all things that a lot of people are not just are not talking to their patients about, but are just as important. Or even just sticking with, you're right on all of those. I agree. Uh, Sticking with hormones for a moment. You can have hot flashes again with low progesterone or low testosterone. I have some women who, for whatever reason, you know, they have family history of cancer, even though I would be comfortable giving them estrogen, they say, nope, staying away from it, not taking it, made up my mind, right? We give them testosterone and their hot flashes go away. Testosterone is also great for night sweats. Mm -hmm. What if your thyroid's too high? That could cause hot flashes Mm -hmm. also, right? So it's just important to have all of the labs comprehensively assessed and find a provider that's going to test, not guess, because just guessing things could go wrong. But Mm -hmm. I find many times hot flashes in my patients are caused by sugar, 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 sugar. (laughs) Sugar is the devil, right? (laughs) Most addicting substance on earth can cause all kinds of problems in our body. So many times just having patients modify their diet getting the sugar out, the inflammatory foods. For me, even gluten can cause hot flashes because gluten makes my heart race. So I haven't had it in, I don't know, eight years, but <laughs> but I'm not going to go back, right? Even if I have cross-contamination, my heart's going to race. I'm going to get warm and hot. 
Yeah. A lot of additives and foods like MSG, different artificial, whatever you want to call them, flavorings, colorings, additives, those also our bodies essentially don't like. And so (laughs) we can then react by having hot flashes. So I think we mentioned, I mean, a lot of reasons why that can happen. So if you're listening to this and you're having hot flashes, (laughs) those are some things to consider. What's really interesting to me is I just started kind of integrating continuous glucose monitors into my practice. And I myself was wearing one and I told my husband, I'm very aware because I intermittent fast when I'm getting close to when I'm going to break my fast, I generally get cold. It doesn't matter how physically active I am or how optimized my thyroid is. That's just my sign. It's like, okay, it's trying to break your fast. And so it was very interesting for me, even though I'm a low carber, even though I don't eat junk, I don't drink alcohol. I've gotten really kind of boring in terms of my nutrition, but I was telling my husband, I had two times. One time was they were plantains that were fried in like coconut oil and they just had sea salt. on them. And then one other time I had a little bit of white rice that was added to a salad. And so I just had like two or three bites and yeah. my CGM, my blood sugar went above 150 and it had been, you know, within controlled within a normal variance for two weeks. And so I was saying, it's amazing to see the things that will offset your blood sugar. It could be things that are mm-hmm. benign and not unhealthy, but in for your body, your N of one, definitely your body is letting you know, like that doesn't work for me at all. Back to the benefit of testing, right? Would you have known that had you not, I mean, you probably would because you're so in tune with your body, but <laughs> would you have known that rice was triggering it had you not been wearing the continuous glucose monitor? I mean, testing is just very helpful. Absolutely. And so I know that we both enjoy using the Dutch, but what are some of the, you know, when you're looking at a new patient, let's just say a middle-aged female, because we're ultra special. (laughs) These are generally the women who all of a sudden, maybe they've never had to see someone regularly. All of a sudden they're like, something is off. What are the normal kind of battery of tests you like to use? So the Dutch is a dried urine and saliva test very special test. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, you have to find a provider like yourself or me that can interpret the test, but what are some of the other labs you like to look at? If someone's coming to you, just feeling hormonally off, they're not feeling like they're, you know, they gain weight, they've got brain fog. They're just not feeling like themselves. So the Dutch test is Cadillac. It's the best test. Love it. Recommend it to almost every patient, but depending on how many other tests we're running on that patient, it could be cost prohibitive because it is more expensive. So blood testing for some people is covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Some people with a high deductible, Dutch testing ends up being cheaper. So it kind of depends on the patient, but um, typically I would recommend starting with blood work. So Mm -hmm. if a patient is cycling, then I do recommend hormone labs be tested one of days 19, 20, or 21. Now that's in a regular 28 day cycle. That's about a week after ovulation. Again, if the patient is cycling regularly. So if you're not, then we have to just decide when to do the, when to do the blood work. And it probably doesn't matter. That one of those days, we want to test progesterone. I like to test estradiol, also estrone, not just estradiol, but estrone and testosterone. So if nothing else, get those sex hormones, just get a baseline. I do still look at FSH, which is more looking at kind of the brain back to what you were talking about earlier. If the brain is sending the signal to the ovaries to to spit out the hormones. So that can be beneficial and helpful too. If you're going to get blood work done, you can get thyroid labs done also at that same time. So TSH, free T4, free T3, (laughs) reverse T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies. And usually I'll recommend an iron and a ferritin because some of these patients are borderline anemic too. So if you can at least get some blood testing done, awesome. Great start. 
if your provider will go above and beyond that and do more like saliva cortisol testing, do the Dutch test, that's even better. The benefit of, a, of this urine, this Dutch test that you're alluding to is that we can then see how the body is eliminating estrogen. So that can only be seen in the urine. Blood's not showing us what you're eliminating. Blood is just showing what's floating around in your vein that literally that day, right? So on the urine, we can see how the liver is breaking down estrogen and eliminating it. We don't want estrogen to accumulate in your tissues. We want it to bind to the receptor, kind of like in a parking lot of car to park appropriately, do its job and then get out, right? <laughs> so <laughs> estrogen, if it hangs around too long, can cause cysts, fibroids, heavy bleeding, can lead to eventually, doesn't cause, but could feed an existing cancer. So it's really important if you have family history of breast cancer, if you've had it, if you have these fibroids and cysts, if you have endometriosis, some of these symptoms suggestive of poor estrogen metabolism or estrogen detoxification to do the urine test. But it, I really am selective based on the patient and their budget, like which test I'm going to run. Well, I'm sure that they appreciate that you're sensitive to that because one of the things that can happen in this functional space is that there's a lot of tests not all of them necessarily need to be run all the time. And I'll have people that have worked with someone else and then they bring, you know, their milieu of tests. And I'm like, uh -huh. okay, I wouldn't have interpreted it that way, but okay, let's right. kind of go through this and dive into it. So, you know, we've got these different tests and then from the test, we can determine how best to support the individual. And, and one of the things that I find really fascinating about thyroid, just touching back on that again, is you mentioned, you know, checking an iron, checking a ferritin, but all these cofactors for thyroid, making sure that you, your body knows how to convert inactive to active thyroid hormones. So you think about iron, you think about magnesium, um, selenium, zinc, zinc and selenium. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Iodine I know is very controversial. Actually, I think it's Dr. Alan Christensen just wrote a book and my understanding from friends who've had a, an ability to check it out first, they said, you know, he feels very strongly that iodine is the reason why we have so many thyroid problems. And I know there are other schools of thoughts. So I know iodine is obviously one of those things, you know, vitamin D and folate and B12, I know are all really important yeah. as well. If you have a provider that's willing to, as you say, do the Cadillac, do the bigger workup and make sure that there's not another contributory issue. Because, you know, I just find that thyroid is oftentimes that missing piece in so many yeah. ways. I have a lovely woman I'm working with and her healthcare provider was only really willing to do a TSH, which her TSH was 5.2, right. which already told me something was off and only did yep. a total T4, which was eh, a little bit off. And so I encouraged her to do more labs yeah. and it turned out she had Hashimoto's. So she yeah. had an autoimmune thyroid issue. And sure enough, she needs medication. So I scooted her off to a functional medicine person in her area. But, you know, I think the big takeaway from, you know, sharing this kind of information is that if you can't find a person that's able to do the kind of workup that you need to be able to figure out what mm -hmm. your body, you specifically need support with, that there are lots of providers out there that can definitely fill in those gaps for sure. Just got to find them. Yeah. If you're going to have brain surgery, you're not going to go to a cardiologist. You're going to go to your brain surgeon. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to have a baby, you're going to go see OBGYN, right. <laughs> or maybe midwife, whatnot. Yes. So if you need your hormones optimized, you need to go to a hormone provider, mm -hmm. like literally not even just an OBGYN. Many OBGYNs will, don't even test hormone levels anymore. So you need to find someone who's you know trained in functional medicine, that TSH being that high, now, TSH, I think, I mean, in her case, obviously, the higher the TSH, the lower the T4, T3 usually, right? So those are inversely related. Uh, one of my mentors, Joe Collins, taught me TSH stands for too slow to help. 
<laughs> By the time TSH is high, yeah. T4 and T3 may have been low for years. And that patient has struggled because all their doctors tested is a TSH for years. And it's slowly climbing up. Well, by the time it's high, they've lost hair, they've gained weight, they feel lousy, they're depressed and have no energy. So you've got to find someone who can test levels comprehensively. And even back to iodine, like you mentioned, I think there are these strong opinions on iodine, but I think it varies based on person. What area, you know, what area of the country were you born in? Where do you live now? What's your diet like? There's not just a blanket answer that iodine's good or bad for thyroid. I think that approach has to be personalized. And I talk a little bit more about that in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint in chapter six. I talk all about hormones and I, I talk about what the discussion we're having today, talk about sex hormones, about thyroid hormones, and even iodine. It's all super, super important. Now let's pivot and talk about, I got questions about osteoporosis and osteopenia. Sure. People saying, you know, I'm doing all the things I'm doing weight bearing exercise and lifting weights. I am at a healthy weight. My grandmother was osteoporotic. I'm osteopenic. So what can I do if I don't want to, if I'm not ready to go on hormones and I don't yeah. want to use, you know, I know there are prescription medications that are out there that address this, uh, yeah. but they also, they all have side effects. And so yep. one woman very kindly said, what are my options behind doing all the other things I'm doing? My diet's dialed in. I do this walking every day. I lift weights. I'm doing all the things, but I'm still osteopenic. Yeah. I get this all the time. I see a lot of women in this situation. I saw one yesterday. I, I have a lot of patients who are like a hundred pounds, right? They're small women. They have small frames <laughs> and yes, they should be doing weight bearing activity. So please do that. The sad part of the matter is your peak bone density was built back in your late twenties, early thirties, right? So you've kind of lost that window. You're not going to build a lot of bone density by exercising. That will help you maintain. It's going to help you keep your balance and your flexibility and your strength. So you don't fall right. And, and suffer the downside of having osteoporosis, osteopenia, but there are things that you need to help maintain your bones. So back to the medications you mentioned. So one class of medications that is available is the bisphosphonate medications. These are things like Bosomax, Boniva, if you've heard of those, which have their own list of side effects. Those are not going to help you build bones either, but they, for many patients, will hold them steady, right? But they can almost make your bones a little more fragile. <laughs> There's a nutrient that's been shown to be equally as effective as those medications. It's called strontium. I use a lot of strontium in my patients. Now, that's not a nutrient we can test for. Like earlier, you were alluding to cofactors that are important for hormone production. We can test for those. We can test for magnesium, calcium, all the nutrients. We can run a nutritional analysis, look at vitamins, minerals, amino acids, antioxidants, omegas. Even for someone with hot flashes, maybe she just needs to get on some fish oil and a multivitamin, right? <laughs> if her nutrition is poor, sometimes just, just a little bit of supplementation will give her the cofactor she needs to make a little bit more hormones so that she's not symptomatic. But with bone density, strontium is very important, as is vitamin K2. So a lot of patients have heard to take calcium, maybe magnesium, maybe vitamin D. But I don't want to say downside, but the caution with that is that if you take too much calcium and even too much vitamin D, you can get kidney stones, right? Yeah. And I've had them and they're not pleasant and I don't wish them on anyone. <laughs> so what we want for, for those women who are having bone density issues, and actually for everyone, is we want the calcium that you're exposed to in your diet. Like hopefully you're eating green leafy salads, whatnot. And if you choose to take a calcium supplement, we want to make sure that that calcium is ushered into your bone matrix. K2, vitamin K2, as MK7, that's the form I recommend to my patients, is the usher that directs the calcium into the bone matrix. Calcium and magnesium help the calcium get absorbed into the bloodstream, but then all bets are off. There's no telling where that calcium is going to go. It could form a kidney stone. It could form a bone spur, calcify your arteries, whatnot. 
So what you really need is vitamin K2. So if you're a woman who is having some bone density issues, take magnesium by all means, high quality form, a well-absorbed form. I have lots of blogs on this on my website. Take D3, get your levels tested, but K2 and strontium are nutrients that can be very helpful. And then hormone replacement therapy. Specifically, <laughs> I offer all forms. I meet my patients where they're at, but specifically sounds silly, but the pellets, even testosterone, not just estrogen or progesterone, but testosterone can really actually help you build bone density. I'm not talking about just holding steady. I think the average improvement in patients after two years on testosterone is an 8.3% increase, which is incredible. I have had patients come to my practice with osteoporosis now have normal bone density. They have actually improved points, percentages. I mean, it is incredible. It sounds too good to be true, but when these, when the DEXA scans come in, I show it to my staff. I'm like, look, 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 see her bone density (laughs) is improving because it's exciting for these patients. Now for a female, if she takes testosterone, are her options only the pellet or do you also do cream administration? Yeah. Kind of like what I said, I will offer whatever the patient wants. So if she's nervous about side effects, right. let's say she had PCOS earlier in life. And so she thinks she doesn't need testosterone now. She actually may, (laughs) she may need it now, but she may not, you know, she may be fearful of the side effects like hair growth, whatnot, oily skin. So we may start her on something more conservative, like a topical gel or cream or sublingual lozenge. But the research on bone density improvement is primarily on pellets. I mean, all the hormones can help. I should say that the most significant improvement is with pellets. I think that's fascinating. Oh, I can't wait to, I'm going to be so excited to share this podcast. Now, I think it's important for people to understand that there are bioidenticals and they need to understand what that is versus synthetic medications. Mm -hmm. And so I know you had touched a little bit about Premarin, but I think it would be helpful to be able to kind of differentiate so that people understand what they're advocating for when they go to see their healthcare provider. Yeah. So the difference between bioidenticals and synthetics is the molecular structure. And I have this all outlined literally in my book also. I show the molecular structure of the horse urine and then the estrogen your body makes, they're different. <laughs> that's why you don't want to take the horse urine. You want to make something that's equivalent or biologically identical. That's where the term bioidentical or natural right, comes from. What that means is that hormone that you're taking should fit into your hormone receptor, like a key fitting in a keyhole, right? And therefore not have side effects because your body recognizes it as natural, right? It's the same concept as why we want to eat organic and not chemical laden food, right? Our body doesn't know what to do with those chemicals. Like how do we process that? How do we eliminate it? It adds to our body's toxic burden. So with hormones, we want something our body's going to recognize. It's going to bind to our receptor and not cause harm. The synthetics have a different, literally, even for men, right? With the testosterone replacement therapy options, they have a different molecular structure. They're not going to bind like a key. It's in a keyhole. They're going to bind partially. So patients get some benefit, but they have more side effects. You want to take what's biologically identical to what you're making. So if the hormone name is medroxyprogesterone acetate, (laughs) or levonorgestrel or a progestin, those are not the same words as progesterone. You literally only want to take progesterone. If your birth control or your hormone replacement therapy does not say progesterone spelled in that fashion, it is not natural. It is not bioidentical. It is synthetic. Same with estrogen. If your estrogen patch says estradiol, it is estradiol. (laughs) If it says something else like conjugated equine (laughs) estrogens or whatnot, it's not bioidentical. So you really want to look for those words on your prescription, estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, right? That's what you're looking for. And I think that's an important distinction. I always say the more, you know, the better you can do for sure. And I got a couple questions about women 
And this always frustrates me when someone says, I had a hysterectomy five years ago, but I'm not in menopause. And I'm like, okay, did they take your ovaries? <laughs> okay. You've been in menopause. Since that was surgical menopause. <laughs> surgical right. and biological. So two very different things. Biological being when your body no longer is, you're no longer having cycles for more than 12 months. When the ovaries say we're done, right? Right. Back Throw to what I was towel. saying before. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Throw in the towel. And, and <laughs> when you're in perimenopause, very likely you were getting much closer to that point. You might not even mm-hmm. be ovulating month to month. And then you have women oftentimes who were offered, you know, surgical removal of their uterus and or yep. their ovaries. And yep. there's no discussion with the patient to say, Hey, guess what? You're going to be in menopause. Like there's mm-hmm. literally this disconnect. I cannot tell you how mm-hmm. many patients I've talked to. And it upsets me because they didn't realize they weren't told. It was just Mm -hmm. kind of assumed like the surgeon assumed that they knew this. And I always say never assume because Mm -hmm. most patients are scared and frightened when they come to get to a point where they need surgery. So they may not have been processing all of that. So let's talk a little bit about those that have had surgical removal of their uterus and or ovaries and what that represents for them. And obviously they very likely also need hormones because especially if they've had their ovaries taken out. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I want to unpack that because there are about five <laughs> points I want to make and I don't know if I'm going to remember all of them. So let me go back to first. <laughs> Ideally, we would have patients who need a hysterectomy find a functional medicine provider to prevent the need for the hysterectomy, right? If you're having heavy bleeding and you're anemic, I get it. You've lost a lot of blood. You feel like crap. You're probably just going to do what your surgeon says and have hysterectomy. Yeah. But, but maybe you needed progesterone, Right. Progesterone can minimize that heavy bleeding. Maybe you had high estrogens, which are the proliferative hormone, which cause the uterine lining to thicken, and then your body's bleeding. Your body's not making a mistake. It's bleeding for a reason. So you had a hormone imbalance that led to the hysterectomy, and having the hysterectomy doesn't correct the underlying hormone imbalance. It maybe got rid of the bleeding or the fibroids or the pain or whatnot, right? And there's no going back in time. We can only go forward. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of patients think, okay, that hormone imbalance or the problem is fixed. It's really not fixed right? You just had a surgery, which is one of the two tools conventional medicine has drugs and surgery, right? Which helped you. But moving forward, I agree those hormone or those patients deserve (laughs) to have their hormone levels tested, if nothing else, even for bone density. So a lot of patients say, oh, I don't have menopausal symptoms. I don't have hot flashes. I'm fine, right? I don't need hormones. (laughs) They may to preserve bone density or to preserve memory. Maybe they have a family history of Alzheimer's or to help with cardiovascular function. So I have tested over, I've been in practice, I think 12 years now, I've tested hormone levels pre-hysterectomy, the day after hysterectomy, a week after hysterectomy, months after hysterectomy, (laughs) in patients who've had their ovaries removed or not had their ovaries removed. And it is fascinating patient to patient, the differences that we see. Mm -hmm. Some patients, the day after the hysterectomy, hormone levels are zero. I mean, they will plummet. I bet you they feel terrible too. They do. And without testing any levels, some patients are fortunate enough that their doctor will give them a hormone. It's usually estrogen, which they may not need, but (laughs) only estrogen, right? So I'm trying to think of all the things I wanted to unpack with with that statement, but it just goes back to having hormone levels tested to see what you need so that you age gracefully. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. 
WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Well, and I think one of the other kind of misconceptions is that I'm seeing more and more women in their 40s going to menopause earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure that can be a, from a constellation of different things. I have women who are 55 and insist they're still getting their periods, which I find fascinating. <laughs> but I think somewhere in between there needs to be this conversation because I know when I hit the wall of perimenopause in my early 40s, I will never forget. I happened to just be seeing my GYN coincidentally on the first day of my period. And she was like, oh my God, your period is like so heavy. And I said, I was just telling you this. And she said, oh, well, well, we can put you on hormones. And she's referring to synthetic Birth controllers probably, yeah, right. yeah. Put you on hormones. We can do an ablation. Or if you want, you know, you're done having kids. We'll just take your uterus. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> absolutely, positively not. And so if, if you're listening and you're a woman that's in this period of, sorry for the pun intended, you're in this <laughs> time period of your life where you're having very heavy periods, just know there are more options than synthetic hormones, ablations, mm-hmm. and hysterectomies, that there are mm-hmm. absolutely providers out there who would love to be able to help you balance your hormones like Stephanie and avoid having to have a surgery because I'm of the belief system. I never want another surgery unless my life depends on it. I had my appendix mm-hmm. out two years ago against my, you know, there were no choices I had. Right, right. It was yeah. ruptured. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about what are some of the things when you're working with a middle-aged woman, ways that we can kind of optimize estrogen metabolism, mm-hmm. what are some of the foods or tips that you like to kind of interject into your work with them? Sure. So if we haven't done any testing, right, if we haven't done the Dutch test, there are just some general recommendations I can make across the board that usually benefit all patients. If we've done the testing, then we can more personalize what that individual needs. But without doing the testing, one group of vegetables that is very helpful is the cruciferous vegetables. So we're talking cauliflower, bok choy, kohlrabi, kale, not spinach, but the vegetables that if you you know cut the stem, there's a crux or a cross there. Those are the cruciferous vegetables. So I tell my patients every single week, go out and at least get ahead of cauliflower or broccoli or whatnot and go through at least one, if not two of those every single week. Those help your liver clear out excess estrogen estrogen from the environment, right? I live in Iowa. So there's herbicides and pesticides literally floating around the air here. Even from auto exhaust, roll down your car, you're, you know, inhaling those fumes, those chemicals can also impact your, your hormones, your estrogen. You can get estrogen from plastics these days, from fragrances, from personal care products. Estrogens are everywhere. They're even in our water system. So many people flush the birth control down. <laughs> well, so Please, you should be flushing it. You should be consuming it or taking it to your pharmacist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But research has shown, I mean, literally water systems don't filter out estrogen. So all these women that are on hormone replacement therapy or on birth control, even if they're not putting their birth control down the toilet, their pee is going down the toilet and therefore estrogens are getting into our water systems that yes, our children are drinking. No water systems filter out that estrogen. Very scary for the future considering I also have a son. So some vegetables that will help are those cruciferous vegetables. Anytime I say this or comment on this, somebody in the audience says, what about my thyroid? I've heard I'm not supposed to consume goitrogens that those green vegetables are going to, you know, counteract my thyroid. You would have to eat a ton of these vegetables raw daily. Four or five cups is what I read. Cause yep. I, of course, yep. down that rabbit hole. Cause I'm yep. like, exactly yep. how much the, the fiber would fill you up. You would, you would be so be gassy. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do it. Speaking of gas, if you can't tolerate the vegetables, if you're on a low FODMAP diet, 
I've had SIBO, I've had fructose intolerance. I've through times in my life, I've been very low FODMAP where I couldn't tolerate broccoli or cauliflower. Thankfully I can now, but if you're someone that's in that boat, which we won't go down that rabbit hole either right now, but <laughs> if you're in that boat, you can take an extract of those cruciferous vegetables called BIM. It's like methane. I can never pronounce it. That's what my doctorate focused on literally just nutrients like them to help facilitate estrogen metabolism for purposes of reducing breast cancer. But I believe the majority of the estrogen driven cancers come from poor estrogen metabolism. So what do we do to reduce our risk? Eat the vegetables or lots of them, or take that supplement dim. What else could help is B vitamins. So B vitamins help with a process called methylation, which we can test on that fancy Dutch test, <laughs> but without having tested it, Many patients who have MTHFR genetic variants are for methylators. Usually patients tolerate bees very well. Some patients, for them, they feel very like jittery on the bees. They feel like they get anxious or it's too much. And in that case, they're probably over-methylating and, it's, and that's too much for them. But if patients can tolerate bees, especially if they're on a diet that they're not eating a lot of meat, they may be very low in B vitamins. So taking a B complex daily can be helpful in the morning because it's energizing, not at night. And then antioxidants are lastly very protective when we think of estrogen metabolism. There are markers on the specific, there is a specific marker on the Dutch test that can lead to breast cancer. So the way that we protect patients against that, that marker oxidizing leading to DNA damage, which leads to cancer, is to take antioxidants. Things like resveratrol, a glutathione, and acetylcysteine, all of those things can be very beneficial. And swing odds in your favor from a cancer risk reduction make the hormone replacement therapy you're taking more safe or just help you in general. If you have heavy cycles or cysts or fibroids or whatnot, all those nutrients can be very helpful. Oh, that's such a helpful bit of information. I think that people really forget that estrogen metabolism is the key on so many levels. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that you have the same reaction from some of your patients, but women will have been constipated for years. And mm -hmm. I'll say them you have to, that's one of the ways that we package up excess estrogen as we eliminate you know, it. Yeah, exactly. I said, so if you're not having bowel movement, anyone that does that's have a problem <laughs> once or twice a day, you need to have a conversation with your functionally trained provider to find out why, because mm -hmm. it is not normal. And I don't want anyone listening to think that it is. I always say it's just a symptom. Oftentimes it could be as benign as your, you need more support with emulsifying, breaking down fats. And we're mm -hmm. such a fat phobic culture on so many levels that, you know, trying to talk to my middle-aged and beyond patients about this. And I'll just say, okay, it's okay. Yes. You can have those fats. It's, we're not anti-fat, we're right. not no fat. We're not low fat. We want to have healthy fats and we need to help our bodies break them down. I agree. You got to poop every day. If we plug the exhaust on a car for one day and the car would explode. Right. But then we think we can just hold in our waste for days. No, that's not good. Not good. Yeah. A very good friend of mine who is also, a, she's actually a physician. She said, adults are much like babies. They need to poop and sleep. And I said, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. Because if I, if most of us slept through the night and had a bowel movement every day, it would be, we would have a much easier way of living for sure. Mm -hmm. So I know that you have this super busy practice. What's next for you? I know you have an amazing podcast, which I've been fortunate to have been a guest on. I know yes, you thank you I for actually coming on. Very popular episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I can actually see your book behind you, but tell yeah. listeners what you're up to, how best to find you, where are you on social media? Sure. So my clinic is the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. We're in Hiawatha, Iowa. That website is ihhclinic.com. And then, yeah, as you can see, my book is Your Longevity Blueprint, where I really just introduce the audience to functional medicine. Today, we unpacked hormones and what tests are available. But guess what? There are advanced 
you know, testing options for every organ system in your body, be it your gut, like we were talking about your genetics. Your, I mean, there, there's your cardiovascular system. There are tests for everything available. So I unpack that in my book where I'm comparing how we would maintain our home to how we should be maintaining our body. You can learn more about the book at yourlongevityblueprint.com, which is also the name of my podcast that you were on. And then we'll also offer any listeners today 10% off if you use code THANKS10 at the website for the book, any supplements that we talked about today. I would say what's next for me. (laughs) Hmm. I did create a course, the Your Longevity Blueprint course, but I am working on a PMS mastery, a perimenopause mastery, and a menopause mastery course, which should launch hopefully this quarter. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And so sorely needed for sure. I feel like, you know, I did a whole TED talk talking about perimenopause, but it was largely (laughs) because I felt like there was such little information and no one prepared me. And I'm like, I'm a healthcare provider. How can we expect our patients to be prepared if we're not even having conversations about it? There's just so much to know. And so, yeah, check out my website. Also social media, Stephanie Gray, A-Y-D-N-P. And you'll hear when those courses are available. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to help support you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.